obviously we're talking about pornography this morning, so you're probably thinking to yourself, uh, got to get the college pastor to talk about pornography, right? Because, you know, I'm in dorms, I'm in locker rooms, I'm at frat houses, I'm hanging out with teenagers, and they got free Wi-Fi and hormones spun out their ears, so Ben probably has had this conversation a few times. And so, you know, this week, as I was preparing for the sermon, I was actually talking to different guys. I did some informal research. Research might be an overstatement. But basically, while we were eating hamburgers in the cafeteria, I just started asking guys at the lunch table. I said, hey, guys, what is pornography use like at the University of West Georgia? How many people are watching it? What's your experience been? What do you think it's like watching porn on campus? And I got, anybody want to guess what they said? Nobody wants to guess. Okay, that's the right answer. No, uh, I got some really funny looks, and you parents have probably gotten this look before where it's like it's stoic, it's plain-faced, and they're almost, it's almost like that no-duh look. Like, what are you thinking? Why are you even asking this question? It's so obvious. It's so plain. You don't know the answer. I mean, it was almost like if I asked a bunch of college guys, how do you feel about chicken wings, or do you like video games? Because the answer is a plain and easy yes. And finally, one guy just shot his hand up and he said, Ben, he said, porn, it's everywhere and everyone's watching it, okay? It's all pervasive. It's everywhere and everyone's watching it. They said, really, the better question is, who isn't watching porn? Because it's all over this campus. And now that might not surprise you, but here's the reality. Porn isn't just out there on Maple Street at the University of West Georgia. Uh, Porn is right here. It's in the world, but it's also in the church. I tried to find the most up-to-date statistics, and here's what the stats would suggest, okay? That 64% of all self-identified professing Christian men access pornography at least once a month, okay? 15% of all professing Christian women. And, And here's the even more sobering truth. That statistic is not very different for, for not just the pew, but also the pulpit, okay? Even Christian ministers, Christian pastors, okay? A majority access pornography on a monthly basis. So pornography's out there, but it's also in here. It's in the pews, but it's also in the pulpits. Now think back. I know we got some older people in the room, some people with some gray hair, older than me. When, 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 when uh, in previous generations, this is what pornography used, used to look like. It was in print. It was magazines, okay? So you had your hustler. You had your playboy. So you had a neighbor. You had an uncle. You had the secret stash somewhere. And maybe you hid it under your mattress. Maybe you bought it from the convenience store. But it was harder to get, okay? And now with the invention of the iPhone, okay, the smartphone, pornography is what? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. So the same device you use to take selfies, to find restaurants, um, to even read the Bible, now you can access billions of hours of pornographic videos, okay? Now, the most popular pornography website, don't look it up, is called Pornhub. Do you know this? That, that if you just lined up every video on one website, Pornhub, the amount of pornographic content, okay, is billions of hours, Okay, to be precise, it's 665 centuries if you're going to watch every video from start to finish. And it's all right there on your smartphone. So do you see this? It dominates our college campuses. It dominates our church, but it also dominates our economy. Some of you might be more financially business interested. Hey, did anybody drink a Coca-Cola before they came to church? Do you know that the, the pornography industry makes more money than Coca-Cola? Did you, did you know if you added up the combined revenues of the NFL, did anybody watch some ball last night, 
you guys see Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers get blasted? Sorry, Waz. Okay. So did, did you know that if you added up the combined revenues of the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball, pornography makes more money? And just think about how serious and rabid we are about supporting our teams, okay? We're more serious about investing in pornography, okay? We talk about baseball being America's pastime. Sex is truly America's pastime. Okay? Worldwide, the pornography industry makes over $60 billion a year, and $12 billion of that is right here in the United States. So it dominates the economy, but it also dominates the internet. Did you know this? That uh, Pornhub has more visits than Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined. Okay? And there's a lot of different stats you can read, okay? But, but from what I can tell, somewhere between one-half and two-thirds of all Google searches are searching for sexually explicit images or videos. So I mean, that might be a wake-up call for some of you. Some of you might know something along those lines. But you do know this, if you know your Bible, okay, is that God, God actually detests uh, sexual immorality and lust. And that's really what pornography is. It's the business or commodification of lust. And... and, and from start to finish, God's word, okay, upholds the dignity and value of women and of sex. Here's some verses that come to mind. You think of Job 31, the great man of God, Job, what does he say? He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman with lustful intent. When Jesus comes on the scene, in Jesus' longest sermon, the Sermon of the Mount, what does he say? He says, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart. And then the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians, says this. He says, this is the will of God. Anybody want to know the will of God? Yeah, you curious? He says, this is the will of God for your sanctification, that you abstain from the passions of the flesh and learn how to control your body or control your passions. So here's what we see. We live in a, in a, in a sexualized culture, and God's Word is calling us, okay, to demonstrate, demonstrate discipline when it comes to lust and sexual sin. So here's how we're going to go about this sermon. First off, we're going to talk about the bad news, some of the effects, the de destruction, and the consequences of pornography and lust. And then I'm going to give you a prescription, some good news. Here we go about, here, here's how we go about combating or fighting against um, this, this really, this pandemic. So, first off, what are the effects of porn? I'm going to give you three. The first is this. It addicts our brain. It addicts our brain. Here's the de definition of what an addiction is. An addiction is a problematic relationship with a mood-altering substance. Okay, so this is the definition of an addiction. Ad an addiction is a problematic relationship with a mood-altering substance. In many ways, a pornography addiction is no different. But instead of a mood-altering substance, we have a problematic relationship with a mood-altering experience. Do you see this? Street drugs, they're external. Pornography, it's internal. The experience or the high, it comes from within. So here's typically what people do is they access pornographic images or videos. They masturbate, and upon climax... There's a chemical reaction that occurs in your brain, and the chemical that's released is called dopamine. Okay, guess what word we get from that? We get dope, and people smoke dope, okay, because there's a high that occurs. So the delivery is different. With street drugs, you snort them, you pop the pill, you smoke it, you inject it, and it releases a high. Did you know this? 
Okay? Upon climax, the chemical high is identical to that of a street drug. And just like drug addiction, when you increase the frequency, when you increase the repetition, guess what? You get less high. That's why, does anybody have a parent or grandparent who talks about marijuana, smoking grass, you know, being the gateway drug to the hard stuff? Well, pornography is no different. Because very often you start with pornography and it leads to more extreme and more violent behavior, to voyeurism, to strip clubs, to prostitution, so on and so forth. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Ben, that doesn't seem fair. Did God design my brain just to set me up for failure? Here's what I want you to see. This is a good thing. Because if we follow God's law and we're faithful to Job 31, and we don't look at other women with lustful intent, guess what happens? You get addicted to your spouse. Do you see this? Because as you engage in marital intimacy, okay, your brain is getting addicted to your spouse and the oneness, the physical oneness you get to share. But there's a bad news that comes with that. This is why it's so hard to quit. And so just in the same way that we wouldn't expect a heroin addict or a cocaine addict just to quit their drug cold turkey, this is why it's so hard to give up or kick this habit of pornography. It's an actual addiction. So first off, it addicts our brains. Second, it distorts relationships. And this is all relationships. Okay, so whatever category of relationship you want to think of, you can, it could be coworkers, teammates, spouses, siblings, friends, companions. But think about this. Anytime you have a relationship with another human being, relationships are hard, are they not? They require sacrifice, clear communication, uh, questions, commitment. Most of you are probably thinking about your marriage. Just think about it. In order for you to move from someone who is just like dating to actually marrying somebody, it required a lot of sacrifice. And usually it began this way, okay? You saw a girl, she caught your eye. So what'd you do, okay? Maybe you handed her a note, okay? You called her cell phone and you asked her out on a date. Now I'll be honest, okay? I'm a pretty confident guy. I, I can handle some public speaking, but when I called Leah to ask her out on a date for the first time, okay, I had to like give the pump up speech. Do you guys remember this? Okay, let's be honest. I was like, I can do this, okay? I can make the call. The phone call was abrupt. It was short. My voice was probably scratchy, okay, but I did it. I risked. I asked her out. We're going on a date. You can ask her our first date. I was sweating, okay? I was so nervous. But each and every step of the way, it required more risk so that we could reach a point of oneness. I had to ask her dad for, for her hand in marriage. And then we got married, and you know what? Each and every day requires more sacrifice, more commitment as I engage, I love, I serve her each and every day. The point I'm making is this. All relationships, and specifically marriage, they're designed for intimacy, for oneness, and to be known, and they require a lot of sacrifice. You with me? And so here's what, we gotta, here's, what I'm trying to, here's what I'm trying to explain, and this is a misconception about pornography. Most people think pornography is about sex. Pornography is not primarily about sex. Otherwise, marriage would cure it. You ever thought about that? Pornography is not primarily about sex. It's not the hunger of our sex drive. It's actually the hunger of our soul. Because deep down, what we want in our heart of hearts is we want intimacy. We want relationship. We want to be known. And what pornography offers is the illusion of intimacy. Do you see this? 
It's artificial oneness because it's easy. It's one click away. I can pull it up on my cell phone. And just for a moment, when I pull up this picture or this video, I feel like a man. Do you see this? I feel wanted. I feel desired. And you know what? I didn't even have to take a risk. I didn't have to make one sacrifice. In fact, I didn't even have to leave my room. I didn't even have to change out my pajamas, and yet I feel like a man. And do you, so do you see this? God designed marital intimacy so that we would be other-centered. We would be selfless. We would consider the needs of our spouse as we seek to please them and satisfy them. And what pornography does is it inverts that relationship. Instead of oneness, pornography promotes selfishness. Pornography reminds us, okay, that sex is all about me. That's the message of pornography. So first, it addicts our brains. Second, it distorts our relationships. And then third, it destroys our soul. Now let's think back to the very beginning of Scripture. Okay, first page, Genesis 1. Verse 1, it's this creation account where God makes the heavens and the earth. And he makes mountains and animals and rivers and stars and the sun. And God saves his best work for last when he makes what? He makes Adam and he makes Eve. He makes men and women. And the first few days of creation, God says it's good. But he makes Adam and Eve and he says what? This is what? This is very good. And there's a reason for that. Because men and women, Adam and Eve, you and I, are made in the very image of God. We're image bearers of God. This means that we're royalty. We're kings and queens. The early church father, Irenaeus, said this, The glory of God is when men and women are fully alive. So here's what it means to be an image bearer of God. You are designed for relationship. God says that you were designed by me, to be in a relationship. But on top of that, if we're image bearers of God, we reflect God to our surroundings, but we also represent God. We we rule with authority and dominion. So we were born to be kings and queens. We were designed to rule on God's behalf, and yet when, when we become addicted to pornography, we can't even rule ourselves. We were designed with dignity, and what does pornography do? It forces us to spend hours degrading ourselves in front of a screen. And this is what I experience each and every day on this college campus. I I interact with so many young men who are unable to even look me in the eye or shake my hand. I interact with so many young men who are afraid and terrified of taking a risk or initiating or sharing the gospel or asking a girl out because they are just controlled and enslaved by the cycle of shame that's produced by pornography. Pornography forces you to live a very small life. Do you see this? It's a small world. It's a small life. But it also destroys the souls of our women, our sisters in Christ. Do you remember what the first recorded words in human history were? Anybody remember? Good little Bible trivia right here. It's actually Adam. Adam speaks first. And Adam finally speaks up when he sees who? He sees Eve. All right? So he sets his eye on on, on his bae, okay, his woman, and he says what? This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Do you know this? This is actually poetry. And more than likely, what, what, what Adam is doing is he's singing. He's actually celebrating the beauty and the dignity of Eve and all women. 
Because we all reflect the glory of God, but the unique way that women especially reflect God's glory is they reflect his beauty. Is God beautiful? You better believe it. And women reflect that beauty. This is why if you go to the Louvre or some sort of art museum, you don't see portraits of a bunch of dudes, okay? And you might be the best-looking dude in church, but guess what? Women, okay, they're, they're, they're attractive because they're reflecting the very beauty of God. And so men were designed to protect, to serve, and to love women. And yet when we look at pornography, here's what we're saying. We're saying to women, you don't matter, and all that matters is me. And not the image-bearer me, not the royal me. This is the predatory, selfish, heat-of-the-moment me. See, pornography is when we use a woman to feel like a man. And we like to minimize it with this language. We say this, I just slipped up. Where I gave in, where I messed up. And this is the hard truth that the Bible gives us. That every time we access pornography, we are entertaining ourselves with sexual exploitation. We are joining the abuse of women. We are taking a stand with Satan. One pastor, Ray Ortland, puts it this way, that we are not good men who mess up now and then. We are bad men who prove it every day. And just like Satan deceived Adam and Eve, he's deceiving us today. Do you remember the first lie that he issues to Adam and Eve? He says, what? You're not going to die. Satan is saying this. There's no consequences for your sin. You won't be disciplined. And we often feel, because pornography often happens behind a screen, that this is a victimless crime. I'm just not hurting anybody. Well, here's what I want you to think about. What if we were take, to take the search for pornography and, and actually communicate it or describe it in real-world world terms? So instead of thinking about it in this virtual world, we thought about it in real-world terms. Here's what it would look like. It would be like if you walked into a large room, and it was dimly lit, it was dark, and you look to the left, and you look to the back, and you look to the right, and it's full of couches, and sofas, and futons, and beds. And all all around, in every direction, you observed sexual predators tormenting and raping young women and teens. Now, men of King's Chapel, if you walked into a room like that, what would you do? What would you do? At the very least, you'd turn the lights on. At the very least, you'd call 911 and say, we got to put an end to this. Most of you would start rescuing the victims. I know a few of you would start throwing haymakers on the spot. Instead, we go to pornographic websites, it's like this. We just stand at the doorway, and we look for a decent option to watch because we're a good guy, and we're not into the bad stuff. I got a quote for you. This is from a young woman who was rescued from the slave trade, or sexual, excuse me, from sexual trafficking, the sexual... Uh, slave trade, and she since has become a believer, and she has married a godly man. She says this. She says, what if this was your sister? The women used in the sex industry don't just have a face and a body. They have a soul, too. They have a name. No woman grows up thinking, I hope I'll spend my life being abused. But every woman in porn has been trafficked. And trafficking is implying making a profit from someone else's sex act. That's every woman in porn. It's coercive. 
Every woman is under duress. Every woman would rather be anywhere else. For a guy, it's a short burst of sexual gratification. And then he moves on. But for the woman, the effects from that single moment of sexual selfishness can last for the rest of her life. Every moment of porn leaves behind a broken woman, sitting in a dark closet, raising her hand and saying, but I'm still here. I'm a human being. I have feelings. I have a heart. And I have a name. See, brothers and sisters, this is a justice issue. Many sociologists would say this is the new slave trade. Because pornography involves real women with real souls, and they are actually being enslaved. Every woman that you view, okay, on the internet is a real woman, and she's being held against her will. She's either enslaved by drugs, by emotional coercion, or she's actually a physical slave. And so just remember this, that God made women in his image, therefore Satan hates women. And pornography is an assault on the glory of women. Now, most of you might be aware of this, and maybe I just pressed it a little deeper, but I just want to remind you the same lies and whispers that that Satan whispered to Adam and Eve, he's repeating to us in this day and age. I mean, just think when you're tempted to access pornography, usually you hear this whisper, it's no big deal, you deserve this, don't you? It's been a hard day, it's been a stressful week at work, you need this release, it's harmless. And then you eventually give in. And do you see what Satan does? He flips the script. And all of a sudden he reminds you this, that you're the worst. You're a fool. God doesn't love you. Really, did you do it again? And the cycle of shame repeats. And so we're about to move on to the prescription or the solution that God's word gives us. But I just want you to remind you of the root, the theology, sex and pornography. It's this, is that we were made for a relationship. And that relationship is with God. It's what we want most in life, whether you realize it or not. But often, instead of finding that satisfaction in God, we go to something else. And the Bible calls those things idols. They're a substitute for God. And so the choice is either you find your satisfaction in the creator or in creation. And the maker is something that God has made. And it really could be anything. We're touching on porn this morning. But it could be your career. It could be your finances, it could be your spouse, it could be success, it could be your GPA or the sports you play. But here's why so often people run to sex. It's because you and I were made in God's image. Do you see this? It's the next best thing to God himself. And it's not a close second, but if God designed us to be in relationship with him, it makes sense that the next best thing is an image bearer of God. And God even made marriage to be a picture of God's love for us. This is why Genesis says that Adam and Eve, they were naked and unashamed. That's a picture of the relationship that God desires for us, where God knows everything about us, and he loves us. And the reason why I bring this up is I just want to remind you, the opposite of pornography, it's not abstinence, it's not avoidance, it's not sobriety. The opposite of pornography is relationship. Do you see this? It's connection with God and it's connection with others. If you want a quick quote, this is from a man named G.K. Chesterton. He was an academic. He was a professor in the 1900s. And he says this, every time a man knocks on the door of a brothel, it's a whorehouse. G.K. says this, he's looking for God. 
If we were to update that statement, that quote for today's day and age, it's this. Every time a man searches for sex on Google, he's searching for Jesus. This is what our, our soul really longs for. So how do we respond? What should we do? I want to give you one quick word, okay? You know who you need to be like? Okay, don't say Jesus. This is going to be a little silly, but I'm, I'm trying to make it memorable. Okay, we got to be like Forrest Gump. Okay, be like Forrest Gump. Y'all with me? Okay, classic 1990s movie. You might be thinking to yourself, well, what do you, Ben, what do you mean, be like Forrest Gump? Does that mean I need to, like, fight in Vietnam? Okay, be a ping pong player? Okay, sit on a, a park bench and, with a box of chocolates? Well, Forrest Gump, what is he famous for? He's famous for what? For running. Right? What was the famous quote from the movie? Run, Forrest, run, when he was a kid. Okay? Anytime he would encounter tro- trouble, what did Jenny remind him? Forrest, just run. Run, Forrest, run. Okay? Remember later on life, he becomes a jogger, he becomes a runner, and it starts this way. Let's look at the, our, our picture of Forrest. There he is. Okay? Hey, can I tell you a funny story? About 10 years ago, I went to Brisbane, Australia, and, uh, you know, I, I, we, we all have accents, okay? Not everybody has an Australian accent. And so I had an Aussie come to me and say, he said, he said are you from Greenbow, Alabama? I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he said, you sound just like Forrest Gump. <laughs> it's a true story. But remember the part of the movie where Forrest starts running? Okay, he, he jogs from one coast to the next. He said, I decided to go for a little run. I started at the end of the road. Then I went to the end of the town. I went across Greenbow County, the great state of Alabama. I ran clear ocean to ocean. I might as well turn. And then I thought to myself, I might as well turn back, keep right on going. Okay? Forrest was a runner. He had a lifestyle of jogging and running. So if we're going to, in a sense, have victory over this temptation, we've got to run. We've got to run in three directions. First off, we've got to run away from temptation. We've got to be like Forrest Gump, run away from temptation. 1 Corinthians 6 says this. It says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee. Now that word flee in the original language, you want to know what it means? It doesn't mean saunter, jog, or stroll. It means sprint. Everything you got, as fast as you can. This is the Olympic sprinter who's closing in on the finish line, who sticks their chest out and gives every bit of effort they can. That's how hard we should run away from sexual temptation. Kids, this is like when you're playing hide-and-go-seek and your big brother is barreling after you. You're running as fast as you can. This is like the house is on fire. Get the heck out. Now, what most commentators think when Paul writes this verse in 1 Corinthians, he's actually thinking about an Old Testament Bible story. Anybody want to guess who Paul is thinking about? He's thinking about Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Now, this is Genesis 39. Okay, parents, you're going to have some great opportunities to dialogue this topic over the upcoming week. This will be a great passage to read. Do you remember this story? Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce Joseph. She puts the full court press on him. Every day, the Bible says, she said, lie with me. And Joseph looks her in the eye, and what does he say? He says, I can't do this great evil against God. This is pretty interesting. And we can learn a lot from Joseph. He doesn't say, no big deal. Nobody's going to find out. I'm not hurting anybody. He says, this is wicked. And in the passage, Joseph outlines, this would be wicked against my master. It would be wicked against you. It would be wicked against my responsibility. And then primarily, this would be evil against God. 
Do you know what Joseph is doing right there? He's being a great runner. I know we got some, some, some world-class 5Kers and marathon runners you know, in the church, but you know this? If you talk to great runners, they tell you, yeah, there's a physical component to running, but their best racers are what? They got it up here, between the ears. They're mentally tough. Because there comes a point in every race, it could be a 400, a one mile, or a marathon where you what? You want to give up. Am I right? You're like, I'm done. Give me a break. I just want to take a break. I'll be honest, I've run two marathons my whole life. In my first one, I was ill-prepared. I took a five-minute break in a porta john because I was like, I'm giving up. I can't do this, okay? But the best runners, while they're jogging and moving at world-class speed, what, what do they do? They push through, and oftentimes they'll say this, we go back to our why. We try to remind ourselves what motivates us, what compels us, what inspires us, to keep on moving. And Joseph does the exact same thing. He's saying, I got to flee from sin because I love God. And because I love God, I'm devoted to him. This is a wicked thing. He's got the runner's mindset. But Potiphar's wife catches him by the garment. And what does he do? He flees. He runs. He gets out of the house. Let me just say this. We've already talked about it. But God created men to protect and provide and defend women and our wives. And therefore, it is never masculine to retreat or run away or tuck tail and run unless, unless it's sexual sin. Then the most courageous, masculine, manly thing you can do is get the heck out. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common, common to man. God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So how do we run? How do we flee from temptation? Well, it probably means you need to take control of your smartphone. Okay, I didn't bring mine with me. You need to take control of your screen. At the very least, it means you need to get a filter. Okay? Covenant eyes. There's lots of filters out there that can actually protect, prevent you from accessing pornographic material. At the very least, it means... I don't bring my phone into my bedroom, okay? This is for parents. This is for young kids, okay? But you are setting yourself up for failure if you bring your smartphone into your bedroom. Because think about it. You get to the end of your day, you're fatigued, you're tired, you're stressed, you're alone, it's dark, okay? The enemy's coming after you. You might be saying to yourself, well, Ben, I use my iPhone for my alarm clock. Guess what you can do? You can buy an alarm clock. I'll buy one for you. Okay, but this is how we flee from sexual sin. So first off, we run away from temptation. And then second, we run to confession. Run to confession. James 5.16 says this, Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. The prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. Do you know this? That less than 10% of pornography addicts actually confess their sin, actually seek help. You want to know why? We tend to think that pornography is a private problem, therefore it has a private solution. But here's the truth. You can only get free unless you get honest. You can only get free unless you get honest. And that first confession, I'll be honest with you, it feels like death. But you really only have two options in life. In life. You can walk in the darkness or you can walk in the light. You can cover your sin or you can confess it. Pastor Ray Ortland says this, you can be impressive or you can be known, but you can't be both. 
So here's the good news. One of the great reform beliefs is the priesthood of all believers. When we confess, we, we, we don't have to go to a confessional. We don't have to find the pastor. We don't have to come to this property. Just find a godly brother or sister that you trust. And here's what you need to do. Just read James 5.16. Say, brother, sister, these are my worst sins. This is my sexual brokenness. Will you please pray for me? And you know what? That brother or sister will, and the healing process can start. It can begin. We've been talking about running. Running's hard. It's not easy. And this is hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. But there's one thing harder than confessing, and that's just giving into temptation. So finally, we want to run, want to run away from temptation. We want to run to confession. And then finally, we want run to our friend Jesus. Run to our friend Jesus. So this begs the question, okay, we, we've talked about how God feels about sexual sin, how God feels about lust, but how does God feel about people who commit sexual sin, who engage in pornography? Are his arms crossed? Is he bitter? Is he irritated? Is he frustrated? Is he exhausted? Oh my goodness, he did it again. Well, Jesus tells us this, if you trust in me, you're no longer my servant but you're my friend. Let's go to the next slide. What does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? What do you think it means to be a friend of Jesus? Well, at the very least, it means this. This is taken from a book called Gentle and Lowly. The author says this. At the very least, it means that he enjoys spending time with them. It also means that they feel welcomed and comfortable around him. Now, think back to, to the gospel writers and how Jesus personally actually interacts with men and women who are caught in sexual sin. I think about the woman who's caught in adultery. Do you remember what Jesus says to her? He says, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. The gospel writers observe that tax collectors and sinners, sinners is shorthand for prostitutes and the sexually depraved. The gospel writers would actually say that the sinners were drawn to Jesus. They wanted to be around Jesus. So do you see this? Jesus is not exhausted by our sin. He's energized by it. He's not tired of our brokenness. And he's not tired of you. Jesus is for you with his whole heart. So you might feel or think, I'm filthy. I'm disgusting. Well, you're wrong again. Jesus is attracted to failures. Jesus is drawn to men and women who hit rock bottom. Jesus is your best friend. There's one moment in life where you tend to call your best friend. It's when you get stuck on the side of the road. Anybody had that experience? So maybe you're like a redneck and you got your, your truck stuck in the mud. Maybe you don't know how to change a tire. You got a flat tire on the side of the interstate. Let's say for, for a moment you don't have AAA, so you got to call somebody. Who are you going to call? You got to call the best friend because here's what you know. My best friend, he's always available. There's nothing too important. He's not too busy. He's going to drop everything, and he's going to come to my aid. Best friends, they draw near in times of need. Best friends are willing to bear my burdens. Well, if you're caught in sexual sin, if your wheels are spinning in pornography, Jesus is your best friend. You just got to call out. Now, he's against your sin, but he's not against you. One pastor puts it this way, Jesus is your perfect friend. He respects you enough to confront you, but he loves you enough to pay the price for your sin.
This great African proverb where a young girl asked her mom, she says, she says, Mom, what is God doing all day? Like, what occupies his time? What does he spend his time doing? And the mother looks at the young girl and he says, he spends his whole life mending broken things. So we said this earlier, porn is destructive. Porn is addictive. If you ever um, experienced addiction before, you know this, that the last addiction is just yourself. Because eventually you reach a point where you say, look, I can't white knuckle it. I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps. I need help. I got to confess. And Jesus is saying, come to me. So this has been my prayer all week, that there will be men and women in our church who take that courageous first step, who say, I'm done concealing. I'm done covering. I'm going to walk in the light. Remember this. You can only get free when you get honest. Okay? Go to your brothers and sisters. Go to your best friend, Jesus. Okay? Confess your sin. So normally this is how we end sermons. All right? I'm going to give a quick prayer. But usually we give some sort of story, analogy, and metaphor. Oh, what I'm going to do is actually show a quick video. I think it's about seven minutes long. It's about a, it's about a pastor who had a pornography addiction. And he decides he wants to get free, so he gets honest. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to watch this video. An example, okay, of someone who experiences James 5.16, James 5, confessing his sins and experiencing the healing that comes to Jesus Christ. So y'all pray with me, and then we'll watch this video. Dear Jesus, this isn't an easy topic, and this is something that feels uncomfortable feels like we shouldn't talk about it publicly and out loud. But Lord, I pray uh, from this sermon that we would get serious about this issue in our society. We would see this as a justice issue. Uh, Lord, because we want to be your image bearers, because we want to live lives of dignity, because we love women, our sisters in Christ. Lord, may we, may we put this sin to death. I pray for men and women in this room right now who are wrestling with, should I share? Should I open up? Should I confess? Lord, I pray this week to be stories of James 5, 16 in action. Men and women taking that courageous first step, confessing their sin, and starting to heal the healing process that only you can begin. So Lord, we love you. We know that you're our best friend. You're always there for us, and you're drawn to us in our times of need. Lord, we experience you as our best friend this week. Amen.